You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit JCastNetwork.org. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Um, so we are uh, continuing in our journey through the Chumash, um, looking at uh, all of the commandments, or at least the ones that remain relevant and in effect for us today, and asking what, what's the point of, uh, of the Torah, what's the point of the commandments. Um, uh, trying to uh, uh, discern a rationale for some of the more um, inscrutable uh, commandments. You know, some of the commandments are, you know, we, 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 one um, can pretty well intuit the rationale, thou shalt not murder, it's a, it doesn't take a rocket scientist. Uh, but uh, certain things uh, are, are a little bit uh, um, more opaque, and so, uh, uh, so we're trying to uh, um, discover whether there is a, um, um, a, a real uh, human end um, that they're uh, attempting to achieve, that they're attempting to serve. Um, and we've been going roughly through the Torah, um, though we're in the book of Genesis now in the weekly uh, Torah portion, um, we have finished all of the commandments in Genesis, there are only three of them, uh, and so we, we skipped ahead to, uh, to the book of Exodus, um, and really, because uh, much of the beginning of the book of Exodus deals with, uh, or at least the, in terms of the commandments that are in it, deals with, with the, the laws of Passover, um, uh, it felt a little bit uh, odd. Uh, in weather such as ours to be talking about Passover. Uh, so I skipped ahead a little bit to the to the Ten Commandments. We looked at the first couple of commandments, um, and now we get to the, uh, uh, to the third commandment, um, which is uh, uh, actually verse 4 of chapter 20 of, uh, of the book of Exodus. Um, it actually has, it's four, comm- it's the, excuse me, the third commandment, but it actually has in itself three separate mitzvot. Um, and I gave you in your handout two, and then I realized that I actually had accidentally skipped one, but it's, but it's okay, I want to treat them all as a unity anyway. Um, so the, the commandment is as follows, Lo fesel asher asher mitachat asher mitachat la'aretz. Do not uh, make for yourself a, uh, uh, an idol or any image uh, that is uh, of something in the waters below, um, uh, sorry, that, um, that, that's in the heavens above, or in the earth below, or the waters below the earth. Lo um, ta'avdem, do not uh, uh, bow down to them and do not serve them. Ki anochi because I am the Lord your God, El Kana, a, a jealous God, Poked Avon Avot Abanim, Al Shileshim Va'aribeim Lisonai. Um because I am a jealous God who uh, who visits the guilt of the parents on the children, uh, even to the third and fourth generation um, of those who hate me. Uh, but for those who love me, I do kindness uh, to the thousandth generation, and to those who uh, observe my commandments. So the, 
What's interesting about the Ten Commandments is that uh, there's not really ten, right? Uh, and that this one that's usually considered one commandment actually has several commandments. So um, in, in the calculation of the 613 commandments, you have lo ta'aselecha pesel, don't make a, uh, an idol uh, or a graven image. That's one commandment. Don't make an idol or a graven image. Lo um, don't bow down to them. Velo ta'avdem, don't serve them or don't worship them. Um, so, because most people consider this one commandment, even though the, the calculation of 613 considers it three, we'll consider it one thing, which is essentially a cluster of commandments related to idol worship. Don't make an idol, don't bow down to an idol, don't, uh, uh, don't serve or worship an idol. Um, so the question is, why not? We had two different commandments before that, which is, uh, believe in God and believe only in the God of Israel. And now we have a third commandment that is related to those, but somewhat separate, which is, um, uh, don't make an image of God and don't worship or serve that image. Um, and that means not only don't make an image of the God that you're supposed to believe in, and certainly don't make an image of the gods that you are not supposed to believe in and, and worship them or serve them. But there are different aspects of the commandment, right? Uh, don't make a, a, an image of uh, something in the heavens above. Um, uh, um, uh, doesn't necessarily refer to uh, an image of a god, right? It, uh, it it could refer to an image of a of, of a bird um, or or some other kind of animal, uh, a heaven, uh, an, an angel, or something. Um, the 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 tradition comes down and says, um, don't make a, an an image that is going to be used for worship, right? So in other words, it's not it's not every kind of image that you could make. Um, it's not banning all art. Um, uh, but uh, but don't make an image that um, that that's designed to be worshipped. Um, but in any event, right? So uh, it, it, we have a, a commandment that is related to, but in some ways separate from um, the previous two about uh, about what you're supposed to believe in um, in terms of uh, gods, one God and only this particular one God. And now you have a, a separate commandment, which is um, don't. Not only don't worship other gods, but don't make an image of other gods that you are going to then worship. So what's the difference between worshiping other gods and, um, and having a graven image, um, a, a statue um, of, of another kind of god that you bow down to or, or worship? What's the difference between those things? One's symbolic, maybe. Okay, so what's the, what's the problem with symbolism? Well, you're saying that there is another god, but it's just a symbol um, for perhaps that other god. Um, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like makes the golden it. calf. Not everybody worshipped the golden calf, I guess, but they, they made it as a god. Yeah, so what's the problem? What's the problem with the golden calf? It's Why is it so bad? This is separate from the god, from the real god. So in other so so in other words, it it transfers worship onto uh, onto a particular object when worship should be of a god that transcends all objects. Okay, so is there a moral problem with that, or is it just an ideological problem? Does it have more permanence? Because you know, let's say a father makes it and 
father dies and his children and grandchildren would still see the remnants of what he believed in, as opposed to if he just did it, you know, philosophically, you know, oh, I believe in another God, but there wasn't something, like how it's concrete. concrete to pass mm. down. It makes it easier to do the bad thing over and over for, mm. again, your children and your grandchildren, because they see, oh, well, if my ancestors worship this, it makes it I mean, worse. To, to some extent, Christianity has created uh, this other god or deity, uh, which makes it more maybe better marketing. I know this is on tape. I better erase this part. <laughs> well, actually, this other god has supplanted the real god. Because they, they worship him and they don't worship God. Well, they, they do both. But, uh, yeah, I mean, so in, in fairness to both Christianity and the Jewish tradition, uh, Christians don't see themselves as worshiping that image. It's just an expression of, of beliefs, at least as far as I understand different streams of Christianity. And the other is that, um, is that they don't worship um, the, the sun exclusively. They worship the sun as a manifestation of the, uh, of the Trinity. Um, which they consider to be um, uh, um, monotheistic, in in not too dissimilar a way um, from say Kabbalah, which um, which um, understands God as having uh, at least ten different manifestations um, in in our in our world, um, and uh, and and uh, depending on what stream of uh, of Jewish mysticism uh, you follow, um, there's some real concrete. Um, uh, praying and worshiping um, in the direction of one or the other of God's attributes, right? So, um, made it when we went through that, it made it awfully anthropomorphic. If, that, yeah. if I'm saying yeah. it right, yeah. it really did. It was. It is strange. Well, I think that that should show you how profoundly human is the impulse to want to anthropomorphize um, or create an image of, of God, right? We do not do that well with, with abstract and invisible concepts. I mean, I've always yeah. understood that that's why there's such, one of the principal reasons there's such a dislike for Lavan, who we read about, you know, going crazy, chasing after his, his daughter and Jacob, looking for these idols. Mm-hmm. Because, of, you know, what was his life without these, you know, and he... Completely losing sight of a bigger picture. Superstition. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so okay, so so there, I think you hit on uh, on on a major issue with uh, with with, with um, idolatry and idol worship, and I think it, it, it relates to what you said, Sherry, um, which is that um, that that w- that one of the problems with it is that it uh, that it that it glorifies a material possession, right? Um, that uh, that that it makes. Um, uh, there's nothing wrong Jewishly with with material possessions. I think we're encouraged um, and supported in the in 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 the in the pursuit of uh, of, of flourishing and, and wealth. God, you know, the Ju- Judaism is not an ascetic tradition by any stretch. But on the other hand, it, it uh, I think believing in a in a in in an a, in an abstract um, non corporeal immaterial God um, immaterial not in the sense of doesn't matter immaterial in the sense that it's not made of materials um, is is trying to say that that though wealth is a good thing it is not an end to itself and uh, we shouldn't dedicate our lives or let our lives be dictated by the by running after our possessions right and so when we when we make an idol 
um, we get we run into the Levan problem, right? Where everything is chasing after that idol, right? And uh, and we, we will we will drop everything because it's the most important thing to us that that material possession. We'll drop everything, chase after our own children, and make sure that we that we get it back and are able to hold on to it, knowing that that. Um, that that the the way of all the earth is to not hold on to things like that in the long term, right? And so we make it with the impulse of of okay, this is how I'm going to be able to give it to my children. Um, the Levon piece of it is is um, that that even though there's a piece of that impulse, um, we still don't want our children to have it at least not while we have it, right? Um, we want them to have it eventually, but not while we have it, and. Uh, um, um, but that it's something concrete, and, and feeling that, that the only way we can pass on something of, of value is if we pass on something concrete. And what the, what the tradition is offering us is saying that, that what we passed out, what, what's more important than our possessions that we passed on to our children is our values. Right? Um, and uh, and, and the, the, the notion of an actual image, of an actual statue, gives us the... Um, illusion that what's important is the uh, is the object that we pass down to our children. The, what's important in our lives is, is the possession that we have. Is it fair to say that this concept was a constant battle? I mean, we know right up to the time of the Maccabees that idols were showing up in the temple, and certainly through all the uh, the prophets, that's what they're fighting against is idol worship. Uh, you know, it, it just seems to it has always struck me that. You know, this couldn't be more clear, and yet it never seems to sink in. Well, I think that the, the, the fact that it is so clear indicates how ubiquitous right. idol worship <laughs> was. And I think continues to be, um, maybe not in exactly the same ways that the Bible encountered it, but, but you can see through, you know, through history, you can see in, in Christianity what I think it does reflect is the, is the deep human impulse to, um, to, to want to... Uh, make an image that you can worship. Um, and I think that there are good reasons. I think there are biological reasons for that. I mean, we, we evolved to be able to, uh, to, um, to relate to what we can see and hear and smell and taste. Right? That helped keep, the, keep us alive um, on the savanna, right? Um, so, so I think that, that it's ingrained into our biology that, uh, that, 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 that worshiping and pursuing and following um, an invisible leader, as it were, right, um, is, uh, is, is uh, um, um, uh, in it's some way unnatural. What? More difficult. Yeah, more difficult. In some way unnatural. So there's always this impulse to want to um, crystallize um, uh, beliefs. And we have it in various ways. So it may not manifest as a statue or, or a picture, although that happens all the time. But, you know, I think that in a lot of ways... The, the new atheism that's emerged um, is in is in some ways idolatrous because it emerges from um, from a uh, um, from from an from an acceptance of um, a principle of the scientific method which is materialism um, uh, that becomes uh, uh, principle that becomes axiomatic right so the the for scientific method the notion that all that you can know is what you can observe and quantify is very helpful and good for the scientific method and um and 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 uh, has been very valuable to human beings but what the problem is taking that as a uh, as an assumption of truth about the universe that all that there actually is is what can be observed and quantified that's what i mean by materialism um 
So that I think is is uh, driving the new atheism is uh, is an acceptance of that methodology as reality, and that I think is idol- that's that's the same impulse behind idolatry um, is that uh, um, that that to worship a statue is a, is an expression of you know all that there really is is what we can make with our hands, right? Um, and what Judaism pushes back against is saying no. There's much more to reality. There's much more to life than what we can see and touch and taste and smell, than what we can make with our hands. Um, there, there are value. At the very least, there are values like love and justice and compassion that um, that you can catch glimmers of and manifestations of, but that aren't things that you can touch. Um, and at most, there's a, a a oneness that transcends all reality um, that uh, that defies. Um, observation and categorization and uh, and definition. Um, so I think that that uh, in in a lot of ways, you know, we may not be making statues and bowing down to them in the same way, but in a lot of ways, we 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 are still following the same um, the same pathways and the same um, uh, avenues. I think that uh, um, you know the the uh, um, uh, uh, the, the worship of technology in our uh, Worship it may be a, a, a tough word for people to get behind, so let me rephrase it. The, um, the pursuit and service of technological innovation is, I think, an idolatry of, of our time. The pursuit and service of, of, uh, of, of wealth is an idolatry of our time, right? So I can, you know, I can, I can, I can touch a $100 bill, right? I can see the image of Ben Franklin, um, so, you know, so, so in reality, and you, this reflected throughout the culture. I mean, you know, um, I lo- don't, I'm, I'm not a, a, I'm not a, a Luddite here. I, I love hip hop, but there is a lot in the, in, in contemporary popular culture that, um, that, that celebrates the image in exactly that way, right? Um, that, that all that really matters is, um, is, is how much you own. Right? And so therefore, all you should do in life, all you should worry about in life is how you're going to get your share of the pie and how to enlarge your share of the pie. And that's all that really matters. So I think that that's a, a major part of this impulse that still remains in effect. And, and that's not to mention all of the religious traditions that we have today that, that I think that in, in, in many ways are closer to monotheism than not, even something like Hinduism um, I, I tr- take them at their word that uh, that that they that they're that they don't aren't really worshiping the idols. Just they're seeing them as reflections of a of a greater uh, unity and a greater reality. But even so, I mean, there's still an impulse there to have a, a physical expression, a physical manifestation of uh, of the uh, of uh, uh, of the deity. So you know, yeah. I... <laughs> Howard's right, we're being recorded. I mean, my understanding of Christianity also, we usually think of the Roman Catholic Church, which I think treats its artwork ultimately as artwork, but the Eastern Church, which, you know, is every bit as powerful, I think really does put a lot more emphasis on the image. Yes. Um, the, the icon. Right, the yeah. icon, the importance of it in Russia. It's, Isn't you it? Know. Excuse me. Now go ahead. Isn't it because God is hard to understand? And it's trying to to understand God through something right. that they can relate to. 
that's right. an image, unfortunately. Right. Well, so, so, and I think that that's exactly right, Charlotte. I think that, uh, that, that one of the things Judaism is, in the Jewish tradition, the Torah, is inviting us toward is a sense that, um, that, that reality is complex, that, um, that uh, um, truth is, um, uh, um, is a, a pursuit and not a, uh, and not a, uh, uh, um, um, uh, how to put it, not a, uh, um, not, not a core, um, um, objective reality, right, that, uh, that, that there may be multiple approaches to truth and multiple sources of truth and multiple truths, um, out there, um, and that, uh, and that not distilling God to one image reflects the complexity, um, of, of reality, the, um, the, the, um, the, the responsibility we have to, um, to, um, to, to see the um, um, to see the the multiplicity of uh, of truth in some way in in our world um, to I think it's a it's an invitation to um, to to tolerance and pluralism um, I think that the, uh, the the veneration of the image in, in other cultures has been a uh, um, has been an excuse for uh, for a for for triumphalism. And uh, um, uh, uh, um, uh, you know nationalisms of various sorts, and uh, and, and and oppressions of various sorts, because it, um, that uh, that the only way to believe is to is this concrete way. Um, and Judaism, I think, has has tried during its history to run away from from that, um, but the impulse is still there, right? So you have various sorts of idolatries, I think, even within Judaism. Um, some of which I think still exist today, right? Uh, you have, you know, the the idolatry of um, the Shulchan Aruch, say, right, or the idolatry of um, of certain um, rabbis or or rebbe's that you don't you don't exactly worship, uh, but uh, but 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 you treat um, as um, as a a reflection of and a. Uh, a, a channel of the divine will in such a way that, that that all you do is follow the truth of that particular stream, that particular voice, that particular you know. You even might have pictures of them in your in, in your sanctuary. Um, I think that that's a form of idolatry too, right? In, in much the same way, um, uh, it's certainly not. I think what the what the Bible was talking about in terms of idolatry, but I think it's a uh, it's a reflection of the same impulse, and I think. The, I think what it's why that impulse is so dangerous, and why the Torah um, is so emphatic against it, is because um, uh, because it, it wants to invite us to uh, to see reality as complex, and uh, and to and to um, and to uh, engage in the process of exploring and searching for truth rather than just kind of staking a position and saying saying, I know that this is real, I know that this is true, and so this is where I'm going to stand, and, uh, and, and if you don't believe like I do, if you don't see the world like I do, if you don't see truth like I do, then, then you're wrong and dangerous. Um, the other piece of it um, is, the, one of my favorite Mishnahs is um, from the Tractate Sanhedrin, I think it's uh, chapter 4, verse... Chapter 4, Mishnah 5, if I'm not mistaken. 
and it talks about. I think it was Mishnah six. <laughs> we, could, we could look it up. <laughs> okay. Kidding. Um, so, uh, and, and while I talk, I'm actually going to look it up on my smartphone. Oh, um, no. so, uh, Why did you start? But uh, sounds like Rabbi help. <laughs> oh, let him tell you what it is first. So, uh, so the so the Mishnah is. Uh, at, um, uh, uh, talking about uh, it starts with talking about how we um, um, exhort witnesses in a capital case, um, how, how we uh, uh, kind of scare the living daylights out of witnesses in the capital case, so that we uh, encourage them to uh, to tell the truth. Uh, and uh, yeah, four or five Howard, <laughs> um, uh, and so uh, and so. Um, so we tell them that uh, that uh, essentially this is where the idea of um, to destroy one life is uh, the same as destroying an entire world because God created the first human being alone. Um, and to save one life, therefore, is to save an entire world because God created the first human being alone. And so if you, in a capital case, testify falsely or give bad testimony, you send somebody to death, it's as if you destroyed an entire world, right? That's where that concept comes from. But then it uh, goes a little further um, and says... um, Okay, so that's why uh, the uh, human beings were created alone. Right, so that anybody who dis- who who kills one Jew in the in the Talmud Yerushalmi, the Jerusalem Talmud, it drops the word Jew there and says if you kill one person. Um, but in the Mishnah, it's if you kill one Jew, um, uh, it's as if you destroyed an entire world. And because and in order to create peace among uh, um, uh, all human beings, Shiloyomar Adam so that a person isn't able to say to their fellow, my father is better than your father was, because ultimately we all have one father. Um, uh, which is, which I think doesn't get to the idolatry thing yet, although I do think that, uh, that, that even if you don't buy the Bible's account of uh, the creation of humanity, uh, that humans were created alone, believing in one God ultimately traces back our source to one to one unity. So you could still say that. But then it goes a little bit further. It says, Vishalo Yehu Minin Omrim, so that apostates wouldn't say, that there are many um, uh, uh, sovereignties in the heavens, that there are many gods. Okay, now here's the here's I think the the, the salient piece, and to tell the the greatness of uh, of the holy blessing one, because when a human per, when a human being mints a coin, um, they all come out looking like the mold. But the uh, but the holy blessing one, the supreme majesty of majesties, minted, uh, fashioned every person in the mold of the first human being. And none of them look like their fellow. Lefichach kol echad ve'echad chayav lomar bishvili nivra ha'olam. 
Therefore, every single person is obligated to say the world was created for me. So, what that, I think, is saying, um, it goes to the core of why not create an image of God. Don't create an image of God because it doesn't reflect the, the reality of every single person, every single human being, every single, I think, creature in some way being fashioned in the, in the image of the divine and yet not looking alike. And once you create an image of God, you are saying that God looks like this and everything that doesn't look like this is not God. Right? So, God looks like Hercules, and everybody who is not a big muscle man is not God, and therefore I can denigrate and destroy anything that doesn't look like that. Right? I can dishonor anything God that doesn't look like that. God is white, therefore anybody who's not right. white. Right, right, exactly. Right. Which, which has been a problem with the Christian use of the image throughout time. Now, it, there, there are problems with, um, with, with you know, the, the radical... Um, Rejection of the image too, it can become an idolatry in itself. You know, in, in Islam, you have that. I think in some sec- sectors of the Muslim community, where they are better about um, not idol worship than Jews are, even. Um, but that also becomes, I think, a, uh, um, a, a, a challenge. So there's a there's a line there too. But the uh, but but I think you're exactly right. Actually, that's an interesting comment because if you insult the prophet. It's the same as insulting God, right? And isn't that, in a sense, idol worship? So I, I don't necessarily, especially something that's going to go into cyberspace. I don't yeah. want to necessarily give a, a comment on that. Although I don't think people necessarily care enough about my podcast to, to launch, you know, go, global conflict because of it. But um, I think I, I think that that um, um, that that challenge is present in um, in, in, in Islam. Um, and part of that is because um, it, it, it's not something endemic to, to Islam so much as is the fact that, that Islam is a younger religion than Judaism, so we don't really know what Moses looked like, say, right? Um, or we don't really know what Abraham looked like, um, so we can't venerate the image of those people in, in the way that even uh, Muslims who um, reject portraying the prophet have a pretty good sense of what the prophet probably looked like, because he probably looked like what people today who live in that area of uh, of, of the Arabian Peninsula, Peninsula probably look like, um, and uh, and so therefore um, uh, can, um, uh, can can venerate uh, um, uh, the the prophet in that way, and also you know part of the axiom of 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 Islam um, is uh, you know is that uh, not only is there no god but but God but that Muhammad is God's prophet right and so part of the um, um, part of the credo of Muslim faith is a, is a veneration of a particular source of truth which Judaism doesn't really have in the same way. I mean, even Moses doesn't really hold that place in in Judaism, which is why I think that certain segments of the Jewish population that want to exalt particular figures uh, and teachers, um, I think, are um, uh, are are doing so um, in a way that's that's counter to what the tradition um, is leading us toward. Um, so I think you're right. Um, um, I think that that challenge is present in, in Islam in a way that that it oughtn't be in Judaism, but still, it's a, I think a real human impulse. And it's impulse. their tradition. So they're going against 
their tradition when they idolize someone like that. Yes. Now, you would have to ask them how they get around that problem. <laughs> um, but it, it is also, you know, uh, because this is going to be podcasted and, and because I, I want to get this in, I mean, a lot of the... Um, uh, uh, there, there's been a lot of uh, of, of hand wringing um, of late because of the Pew study about the the future and fate of conservative Judaism, um, and a lot of assaults of conservative Judaism on the blogosphere recently uh, from people who have found a home for themselves in other parts of the Jewish community, um, having left conservative Judaism and wanting to. Uh, opine about uh, about what it was that they found um, offensive in conservative Judaism that made them want to leave um, our, uh, our, our 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 approach to the to the tradition. But so what I want to say is that I think that that conservative Judaism um, it, it I think hues most closely to this. value within the tradition. The value of, of, of not holding up any image, any source, um, any um, person, any teacher um, as, uh, as an idol worthy of worship. I think conservative Judaism at its best is, is loyal to, to the tradition, but doesn't treat the tradition, any piece of the tradition, as an idol to itself. And, and so, therefore, serves God through the tradition, but doesn't let the tradition become an, uh, an impediment to serving God. And I think that that is what the, what, 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 uh, what the Torah is trying to lead us toward here. And that's why I think the conservative movement, I'm not saying that we're, we're right, but I think that we, um, um, I think that we are doing a, a, a really good job of, holding up, of taking this value very seriously. Um, and I think that that's worthy of celebration in the modern Jewish landscape. Um, uh, and so I think that that is something that will, that if the conservative movement were to fade away, that would be a real value lost in the, in the Jewish world. And I think that it's one that eventually will reemerge, even if our movement were to, were to uh, institutionally die out. Um, I think that that, uh, that that impulse being embedded so deeply in our tradition um, will will reemerge like a phoenix from the ashes in one way or another. Um, so, uh, so I just I, I want to offer that um, that uh, that there is a value in the tradition of iconoclasm in the literal sense of the word uh, of of smashing idols and holding up idols uh, to say um, that uh, that that um, that that we we should not feel beholden to a particular source, a particular tradition, a particular teacher, a particular rabbi, a particular way of doing things, that everything should be um, a, a accountable to, um, to what we believe about God and uh, to, the, to the rigors of, of reason and study. And I think at its best, that's what conservative Judaism offers um, the, the Jewish world and, and the Jewish community. I think that in itself is, uh, is worthy of our consideration, our celebration. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you.